Welcome to FASD Hope, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 19 years of lived experience. FASD Hope provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD Hope, Natalie Vecchione. Welcome to today's episode. Thanks for joining us today. It's Foster Care Awareness Month. Anne Yurchek is a writer, mentor, speaker, and advocate for professionals, caregivers, and individuals in the exceptional needs communities. She is a strong advocate for children with special needs in the foster care and adoption system. Anne and her husband, Jim, are the loving parents of 12 children, seven with special needs. Their daughter, Becca, taught them how to make a difference for Mac, child number 12. Mac is a medical marvel and Fury, the little penguin that could, is written in the hope of supporting inclusion for children living with trauma, physical, emotional, and intellectual challenges, and features them both rocking their red shoes. Anne is the founder and prior administrator of Parenting FASD Kids and Parenting Children with FASD Digging Deeper, support groups for caregivers and parents living with children who have brain and body challenges due to prenatal alcohol exposure. She shares and enlightens parents and caregivers with her incredible journey at the website www.parentingcomplexchildren.com. And she co-directs the International Red Shoes Rock Stop FASD campaign. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Isaiah 40, verse 31. Welcome to FASD Hope. I am pumped for today's episode. The woman that I am about to introduce y'all to, you know her, you know her. She has done so much for the FASD community. She's done so much for the exceptional children's community. She has just done so much. And I look up to her. I think she's just this rock star mom. And we started talking and talking and talking. And I was like, wait a minute, Anne, we need to start recording. We need to start this episode. (laughs) So I am so honored. I have been in her groups for years. I have been following her and her family's journey. And since We're airing this in May, which is National Foster Care Awareness and Support Month. I could not think of a better mama to air this episode just before Mother's Day than my new friend and fierce, fierce advocate in FASD and exceptional children and just such a blessing to so many people. Anne Yurchek of Digging Deeper and all of the other wonderful credits that I mentioned in her bio. And welcome to FASD Hope. Thanks, Natalie. Um, for one time I just said I was just a mom. And um, <laughs> my dear friend Jody Culp said, Anne, <laughs> you're not just a mom. And I go, yes, I am. Because I began this journey just like everybody else. And um, someone once asked, how do you do it? You just do it. because 
and God makes me look a little crazy sometimes. So. So, Anne, everybody loves you. Everybody wants to talk to you. Everybody wants to learn from you. I want to learn from you. Let's start from the beginning. The beginning is a great place to start. For those of our listeners who are not aware of your journey, can you just share some of your journey and how you became a family and your FASD journey? Um, I was one, when I was a good kid, I was raised very, um, in a really strong family. Um, I went to an open school at, um, Mankato state campus where I got to, I taught myself and it was very unique. And, um, one of the things I buried myself in books and some of my favorite books are the family. Nobody wanted, um, those stories of large families, um, yours, mine and ours. Um, my favorite movie was Debbie Reynolds and my six loves where she found six drug and alcohol exposed kids in her backyard. And so we ended up, my husband and I met in 1976, married in 1977. And we ended up with, we had six kids, five, and then we were expecting our sixth. And I didn't realize that my life was just going to enter the special needs world. Um, she came in a minute. Um, we would lose nearly everything. Six months in a children's hospital. They said my daughter was never going to live. I would, for the first few months, I was running for her life, trying to hold it all together. Kid in the hospital, five other kids, children's hospital. And finally, in around Thanksgiving, right before Thanksgiving, Becca was born in August, and I said, okay, God, I can't keep doing this. Um, I give her to you. I give you her and all this pain. And I know I'm settling myself on this roller coaster. And whatever will be, will be. And I'm just going to lean on you. And um, because I can't do it by myself anymore. And um, I said, just let something good happen out of all this pain and all this hurt and all this poverty and struggle. And, um, it, and all of a sudden it was peace. And it was, that was November, December. She spent her in the hospital. I had just had influenza, very, very, very sick. My kid was in the hospital. She had RSV, she was in heart failure, you name it, she had it wrong with her. I mean, she was technology dependent. She ruled out for a heart transplant, she was gonna die. And um, Christmas, well, we had nothing and angels took care of us. And it's in my story. And um, I knew at that point, I never had to worry ever again because everything we were out of was supplied and our needs were always met. So fast forward, we brought Becca home with an army of nurses. I got a, one of the nurses was a pastor's wife and God always gave us the people we needed when they needed them the most. Amen. She was one of the first kids out of the children's hospital on a waiver that paid for all this care and all sorts of stuff. And Becca never gave up, neither did we. So fast forward, we had no money, no anything. Doc decided to go back to, my husband decided to go back to school instead of leave the door and feeling sorry for himself. And um, we delivered newspapers. So we did two years undergrad, four years of medical school delivering newspapers. And we had a little time and I'm going, hey, and we saw this adoption fair or this, and my daughter and I went. And um, we said someday, 
when Jim has facing a five-year residency. Well, um, we ended up at this class at Hennepin County in Minneapolis, and we ended up knowing a lot and leading about, because we've been in the special needs world by that point, seven years, six years, and seven. And um, they showed this story about this family that needed, that they were able, that was picture of six kids that were being adopted, they found a home, home for, who was gonna take all six. And on the way home, my husband said, they're going to adopt six kids to someone who has never parented before and isn't really being six kids that are really have some special needs and transracially and, so, and a family that wouldn't have been accepted by society. So we talked about that and what those kids were gonna need. Well, on unmatched day, which is the day where we find out where, where we are going for the next journey of our life, um, I got a phone call um, being tracked down from a Hennepin County social worker to my, adopt, my different county childcare licensing worker, because by that point I did special needs daycare, and, and um, asking us if we would be interested in a set of kids that needed a home. And I'm going, well, Today, we might be finding out what we're moving and leaving everything we know. And um, Jim called to play joke on me and said, hey, we are going to, um, I got the match thing and we're going to, and he goes, I go, we got a phone call from some adoption worker. And he looked, he, called, he goes, Ann, it's the six, isn't it? I'm going, it sounds like it. And when the picture arrived a few days later, it was the six. And we told them all the reasons why we can't do this. We're moving, we have six kids, we have no money, we're leaving the state and we're starting a five-year surgery residency. Well, every time we had a question that we needed, um, and like, okay, we can't get a house big enough. We sold our house in three days and we found a house. Um, we don't have any beds, they found beds. They go, here's some money for beds. I don't have any money to buy all their clothes. Well, we'll, we'll give you a clothing allowance. Um, we met the kids. The kids helped load the moving van and they joined us a month later. Who's crazy enough to do an ICPC across state lines to some family that's just finishing medic, doing a medical school residency with now 12, supposedly R5, R6, 18, 18 down to seven and six more, 15 down to four. And they had never lived together in many years. They were in three separate foster homes and we're bringing them all together. Two families, both new adversity coming on to a new life together. Little did we know, crazy enough to do what God called us to do. What is the saying? God doesn't call the equipped he equips those he calls. I learned that. Mm -hmm. And my, and one of the things I've always, I, that I've learned from my kids, they're my teachers. They're the ones that teach me what I need to know. Yes. And it is, Becca was my teacher, my first teacher. Taught me to know, she, if Jim said, she's smiling through all the pain, how can we feel sorry for ourselves? 
So that's how I ended up. That's how you became super mom. Became a family. Um, and it was, that was 1997. The first wow. year of transracial adoptions opened up by Bill Clinton. And interstate adoption on top of it. They joined us July 28th, 1997. So when did you, so now I know when you became super mom to this amazing family, when did you start? I mean, obviously you've been mama advocate bear from the beginning. When did it start formally going into what we know you now for, which is, you know, everything, Red Shoes Rock, Digging Deep or everything. When did that transition officially start or around when? Day seven. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, the six year old. Becca's birthday was August 3rd. Um, I went to get Becca up, but it was, I guess it was, it was a back rewind. 24 hours, not even off the airplane, off the airplane, no more than eight hours. The social worker who flew them from Minnesota was on the driveway watching the kids play. Well, I had to take an emergency run to Walgreens to get a my new daughter's um, personal care thing that she needed. And I get home to the neighbor across the street saying, coming up to me saying, the six-year-old did something he shouldn't have. Under the watch of the social worker. So fortunately I had read the book from Greg Kat on um, the, the hurting child. Mm -hmm. I was not, I did not go into this um, with blinders on, I knew enough. And I had mentored enough parents with special needs kids prior to doing this that I knew that I had to watch. Mm -hmm. And then it was Becca's birthday. Um, the next morning I went to give Becca a bath and she was the size of about a three-year-old. The six-year-old had left bruises all over her body. He had to take her birthday away. He was traumatized and he was very, um, there's something I knew. And he, he made it 30 days in our home. He could not stay with his siblings. He needed more than what we could give him. Right. He needed one-on-one -on -one attention. Mm -hmm. And that's, not, that's us knowing that what each of the kids needed. Yes. You don't, and like the social worker said, well, he needs his oldest brother. Well, to give that responsibility to a kid who had been parentified his entire life to a 15 year old who needed to have his last three years of high school, hmm. he did not need to be in charge of his little brother. Right. But I never gave up on him because I still advocated for him wherever he went until he was adopted. And at that point, he needed his own family and he needed a fresh start. So it, it wasn't. I mean, we, we hit the ground running. Um, one of the things I learned was, is that um, my kids, everything that the social workers were telling me back then about RAD and all these other things that the diagnosis is that they eventually get, FYI, they never let us see the records of the kids. Mm -hmm. They hit it. Mm. Confidentiality. But if I had ever seen it, I probably wouldn't have done it. So it's a blessing we didn't see it. <laughs> um, but they were just, you tell something and they forget, 
or you send one out to the, you send one out to the garage to bring in French fries and I have corn. <laughs> um, that, and I'm, and you just, and I realized, and then I pulled out some of the things that we had from this adoption class. And there was a book from um, the Minnesota Public Health Nurses that was on your fetal alcohol child in, 1990, in the ni- late, mid-1990s. Wow. I read it. And I'm going, this is my children. And I knew that their mom had alcohol. They were cocaine exposed. They were crack exposed. They went through heck. And I knew. But I also remembered reading The Broken Cord. And enough. And so try being in 1997, 1998 to try to find a diagnosis outside of the state of Minnesota on fetal alcohol kids. But you started fighting. Just like I fought for Becca, I fought for them. And um, I found the best therapist that she had worked in child protective services. She did personal counseling. And she goes, Anne, I may not be able to help know everything, but I'm there to listen and help you. And we worked together. And she believed in that I needed to be the therapist that they needed to help with their attachment. And we fired everybody else because everything they told me was wrong. And if you have five sets of therapists working with five different kids and they're all, and they contradict each other, finally my husband said, Anne, we're firing them. We're gonna go with who they trust, who you trust. And we hurried up and finalized just to get rid of them. Even though we knew we didn't have what we needed and we're just gonna do it anyway. And that's a common theme on this podcast is you create the supports you need by a lot of times educating and being that support that you need because the quote unquote professionals, they don't know. One of the things that I've learned over now 25 years of parenting FASD um, is that the therapy, the professionals read the research, the books. We are our professionals. We are the, we've earned our credentials. We have, we are vested in these kids. My favorite thing is the, um, one of the sayings that I have on my wall up in my office is, um, a worried mom does better research than the FBI. Oh, I love that. That is my, I mean, yeah. I, I research, I, I've had to research to keep back alive. And I, I've, so I've used all the skills that I've learned from Becca and because she's the sickest child with Noonan syndrome to have ever lived, much less lived to adulthood. And she's 32, by the way. Um, and I've seen what the special needs world's done since 1989. And at least we're, at least now we have at least um, the respect of the professionals to be able to be allowed to know something. Right. When I began this journey, I wasn't a lot, I had to play dumb. I had to, um, I couldn't know anything. Now the ones, if I ha- if they want me to play the game or if their egos are in the way and they don't want to listen, well, goodbye. I'll go find a different one. And by the way, never be afraid to do that. Yes. And you know, starting when there were no resources, there, there were very few resources 
And we, our journey started in the early 2000s, 2002 to be exact. So a little later than you, you know, actually quite a few later than you, but still, we really didn't see fetal alcohol really that, I mean, of course we saw trying differently rather than harder. And we, you know, all this wonderful work being done, but honestly, I don't think we've seen this boom that we have in the past, say, five, seven years. What do you think, Ann? You've been in this. 2002 was the year I met Jody Culp at the first fetal alcohol task force in Michigan. And it was in Michigan because um, I ran over the state of Michigan. So Um, go read read the half second half of Tiny Titan. I um, I ended up serving on a task force um, for system change and working with some big people to um, for kids like ours. And um, I remember a friend of mine who was brought in because I was expected to give up custody of my daughter in order to get the care she needed. And I fought it all the way through the courts. And they said, um, fought a fight because she was stuck in the state hospital. They didn't understand her. And I kept, I, I refused to give up on her. And so out of that, you make something good happen out of all the stuff. And he goes, Ann, um, somebody's talking about you at the CDC. And I'm going, well, and I go, where's evidence-based practice in fetal alcohol? He goes, Ann, there isn't any. I go, I know. When are we going to make it? He goes, some of you and others are it. And I go, and I don't know what I'm doing. So we're in trouble. <laughs> so, um, and that was 2002, 2003. Um, and I knew that there was more, it wasn't just fetal alcohol and her intellectual disability. There was underlying things and they didn't believe me. And there was medical problems. And that's, and, we're going to talk about that in a, in a and, little bit. And so you just, we've come a long ways. Yeah. And I asked Manfred, um, we need evidence-based. He goes, the questions we asked today, it's going to take 15 years for us to get to where we need to be. And I go, that's too long. We lost an entire generation of kids. He goes, Anne, we have to start someplace. And the head of mental health at that time goes, Anne, it's like turning the Titanic, turning the ship. And it's going to go slowly. And I go, yeah, and it's going slowly while we're sinking. And I knew that the autism world has grassroots movement and um, fetal alcohol. Well, we're against a lot of, we we're up against big, big alcohol, big alcohol. I found, I like statistics too, and numbers. Um, <laughs> I like my children. Um, they go, mom, why do you do math for fun? I'm going, well, I love it. Um, and so I may of 2021, was the highest amount of alcohol sales we've ever had. And it's continuing to rise $6 billion in sales in a month in the United States alone. So do they want to hear from us? Probably not, but they can't quiet us either. I love that. That is, oh my goodness, man. And I'm so thankful for you and for Jody. And the movement you all started, because, again, this wonderful ripple effect happened with 
your advocacy. You started just as a mom advocate and then just grew and grew and grew and grew. And now Red Shoes Rock is international. Just um, I just did I just did a timeline with Jody today before this. I love this. Yes, Red please. Rock, Jody Jody was realizing FASD was disappearing and losing momentum. She realized that RJ Formanex Red Shoes were just a tool we needed to build grassroots movement to raise awareness about feed alcohol. Can you believe we're going in our ninth year? Oh my goodness. Thir- 2013, 30 days with FASD. Mac rang the church bills in our little town here in Wisconsin, right on the town square. Um, he was just this teeny tiny little thing or ringing the bells on his on the couch. That was the first year. That was 2013. 2014 was 60 days about feed alcohol, FASD. And he rang the church bells. Um, 2015 is when I formally joined Jody and became co-director. And we, 90 days introducing real people and Mac and I teamed up with Jody to hit the ground running. 2016, 90 days, real people, real families. And Mackie got the blessing of the author of Flat Stanley for Flat Mackie to run around the world in his red shoes to raise awareness about FASD. 2017 was honoring the pioneers and and everything else. Then 2018, Yvonne Williams joined with Daily Facts. The Too Young to Drink out of Europe joined in. Um, It was amazing to see the capitals of each of these cities and somebody with their posters on FASD Day. It's incredible, including even in Russia. Um, 20, and then, okay, Mac hit over 100 countries, including him and Furry actually got Antarctica. They had Flat Mackie in Antarctica. Um, the logo's been translated into over 60 languages as of 2018. 2019, Mac and Furry released their book teaching about friendship, acceptance, and inclusion, and the Real Lights Adventures Kindergartens, which talks about Red Shoes Rock, along with everything else we did about Red Shoes Rock. Um, 2020, the pandemic hit, and Jody's daughter started getting ill. And we did the rocks and hid rocks and painted rocks and um, But Mac didn't quit. Um, He premiered, Mac started his own project about what he could do. And so Mac was, um, started the furry project, giving emotional support partners to kids going through tough stuff and partnered with the book, the furry, the little penguins who cares and given to kids with cancer, kids who lost parents with COVID, stuffed police car trunks, stuffed um, foster care bags, because littles need something to hug when they're scared. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mac, when his surgery was this last September, for right after FASD, he stuffed the um, child life specialist with furry in the book. And by the way, furry wears red shoes. This year, hopefully we will do some, um, I'm going to really start writing this year. So everything that Anne has mentioned we're going to have on our social media posts this week when we air this episode. So her book, Tiny Titan, Max book, Furry. And we had a giveaway back in February and we will be just pointing you in all these directions of where you can access all this wonderful, wonderful resources that Anne's talking about. This episode is airing in May. Of course, we're going to be updating everybody about what's happening in September, because we know September is our biggest month with Red Shoes Rock and International FASD Awareness Month, International FASD Awareness Day. So and 99 dates. And that's right. 
just again, your presence in in social media, in groups and communities. I just you've always been there when I started. So we received our our son's diagnosis in he, he officially received it in 2017 when he was 15. But I had you know, we had tried to get a diagnosis for a long time before that. So when I was researching, like you, like you said, a worried mom is better than any FBI researcher. Again, the reading, everything, the going online and everything and your check and your check and your, here we go. Registry's rock, you know, and just to hear, especially it really sounds like, and especially with you and Jody, I want to say the past five years have really boomed, you know, um, and, and things continue to grow. And we're going to talk more about something that's passionate to both of us. I mean, there's a lot of things that are passionate to both of us. So if you're listening, you're going to get an earful today. But one of the things that is really passionate to us and and one of the groups that you started, which is a wonderful, wonderful community, is digging deeper because you and I both know you with your so many years of experience and us with having this experience too with with our son we know that there's over 400 and i believe it's 400 over 428 yes over 428 comorbid medical conditions associated with prenatal alcohol exposure and we know that the pending h uh fasd respect act the national fasd legislation we know that so many of we know FASD is a brain based disorder. It's a brain based diagnosis. However, what Ann and I really, when we had our pre recording phone call, what we have seen and what we know so many other families and educators, practitioners have seen, but maybe they can't put their finger on it, are the medical conditions that we often seen. In fact, before we started recording in and I were talking about, you know, trading notes about, oh, yep, this condition, this, 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 you know. So, and obviously you have a husband who's a doc. He's, he's retired. Wow. But he's a doc. <laughs> I, can't, I still can't believe it, by the way. And let's talk about the importance of why you started that, because we really do need to dig deeper into those medical conditions. There's so often we talk about the, you know, the brain-based, you know, characteristics, which is important, but we need to recognize and talk about and support those over 428 comorbid medical conditions. Let's, let's talk. One of the things that, um, the second part of the story is um, I got bored and um, we, after raising the kids and I back into town, we're still at home and my, and some of the kids were out doing their walkabouts and my biological children are, don't need me as much anymore. They just call in. Um, I was bored. What do you do? And I'm saying, okay, let's see, look at foster care. Look at this, 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 and this. Well, um, ended up getting my foster care license. And I said, okay, God, I might be crazy again. Becca mentioned the fact that she wasn't ever going to be a parent. She goes, but she goes, I'd like to be able to help. And so um, she prayed for her little brother. And so we ended up getting this phone call for this little boy 
And our license was approved the same day that we they approved us for a little guy who um, was four months old. We had FAS. And I met him. And then all of a sudden, we weren't going to get him because he got tied up in the system. And because they had to rule out through four different parents and the, he was and he was needing the foster parent knew they couldn't keep him. Well, a year later, a year to the day of the day we first saw the flyer on him, they called and said, we have the little guys in crisis. Um, we need to move him. And if he needs a medical family, would your checks take him? Because right now he, um, we don't know how much longer he has to live. I prayed, I, I, during this whole thing, I said, okay, God, give us the child who needs us the most. So the next week, I, Monday morning, ended up meeting the foster mom at the University of Wisconsin and hit the ground running with him. Two weeks later, um, he came to home, our house for a visit. They go, well, Anne, we need, it's going to take about a month for the paperwork, but would you keep him until the paperwork's approved? And try to see if you can feed him because right now he needs a g-tube he's literally starving to death his liver is failing and he's 12 pounds and 17 months old and turning yellow and so um i brought mac home and i fed him every hour two ounces at a time or everything came back up for every hour and you couldn't move him because it would and then he'd choke and we won't go there. Um, so I started sorting out all the med. Okay. Well, I asked my doctor, oh, he needs to see a neurologist. Why does he need to see a neurologist? I don't think he needs a neurologist. I have a 12 pound, 17 month old, and he doesn't need to see a neurologist. He has a big sacral dimple on the back of his back that looks like he has an extra, um, anus and stuff. And it's so deep. Well, he doesn't need an MRI. Um, there's something wrong with his spine. Um, there's something I kept, so I kept trying to, and I took him back to the FASD clinic. They said he's partial FAS. They go, no, he's full of fledged FAS. Well, then pretty soon um, he's starting to get better and he's starting to eat, but every hour. Um, couldn't you couldn't take your eyes off him he spent every minute with me and becca and um then pretty soon i noticed that there was something wrong he wasn't peeing right well i couldn't even get him to a urologist um i just kept fighting well finally he was about two and a half they go oh um i go he quit talking something's not quite right here and so they did an autism, I took, got him in for an autism assessment. They go, no, he has FAS, he doesn't have autism. So then I went to the rehab doctor the next week and then all of a sudden they're telling me that she goes, you need a second opinion. And he qualified for a 27 on the 38 ADOS scale. Well, you can't have both FAS and autism. Well, then years time kept, kept going on. I kept fighting things and kept finding new doctors and kept looking. And pretty soon we got to um, neurology and we got, I found a picture of mom and I said, there's something here. And because I found her mugshot out of Florida. 
and um, they agreed with me and but it took some time and eventually got to genetics and they said his chromosome microarray from when he was a baby when he was in the NICU wasn't was normal but it wasn't so I just kept sorting out all these pieces and and I never look at what it is beforehand I look at what I see in the child then I'll go look at the research I don't muddy my water by looking ahead because I want to see what I see in this child. And by the way, I hate I hate being right. That is that is sage wisdom for all you listeners that you look at the child, then you look at the research. You don't do it the other way around. Yeah, because otherwise you might see something and you don't. I mean, you and the, and the exactly. doctors see the research and don't see the child. Exactly. We need to do it the other way around. Yes, you're investigating and you were right. And you're investigating. That's proper. And that's what an investigator does. An investigator looks at the person and then looks for the facts, looks for the research, for the clues. But the other thing is not so then there's OK. In the American Academy of Pediatrics, there's one sentence that talks about you can have medical problems. One sentence out of a multi-page document. Um, American Family Practitioners actually has a whole page where they take it apart system by system and actually talked about enteral neuropathy. Like our kids don't feel the ability mm -hmm. to relieve themselves, yes. but then they're blamed for withholding. But they also have fetal alcohol affects the bladder, mm -hmm. affects the spinal cord. For kids with FAS, they they get diagnosed by, by their eyes, positions on their eyes and their lip. Well, do you think that formed by itself? There's a one of the docs on the university I found who was so wise and young. She goes, there was a package that was formed behind that. The connections aren't all quite right. Um, you've got the pituitary, you've got all sorts of things. It, this is, and don't you think all of that connects to the brain. And so it's not as simple as just FAS. We now know epigenetics plays in. For our kids that come from the care systems, parents have genetic disorders. They have intellectual disabilities. They had some things too. Or they might be fetal alcohol themselves that were affected, but what happened to their parents happens to them all the way down. And so when you look at Mac, he's prenatally exposed to alcohol, pot, you name it, prescription drugs. Um, he was premature uterine ruptures at 21, 24, 28 weeks. He was born at 34 weeks, spent some time in the NICU, ventilator dependent for a while, trauma. I think that we was what we need is for our kids that come in from the care systems, we need questions like, we don't know that history. We need to know as much as we can and we need, they talk about the ACEs. We need the prenatal ACEs, the infant ACEs. Was mom under stress? Was mom homeless? What is history of grandma and grandpa? Not just what we know, these little medical problems, but what is that trauma history? And we now know that extended kids that are premature, it changes brain too. Um, we didn't think babies felt pain. Well, they do. And, and those experiences, and then you add the ex compounding experiences of a world that doesn't understand them. 
we're just adding layer upon layer upon layer of trauma. Don't you think they're going to be hyper alert and anxious? So we see behavior, but really it's what we're seeing is anxiety or I can't or I'm struggling here. So we need to stop, dig deeper. What are we seeing? Yes. And not and our our schools and everything and our societies too much into blaming the child for what was done to them. They need compassion and understanding and for us to care. And you're making me think of an episode we had earlier this year with Dr. Larry Bird, who I know you know of his work very well, and how he presented the three generations of exposure when a woman consumes alcohol during pregnancy, not only does it affect the unborn child, but in, and her, the unborn child, but the child's future children, especially if they're women, especially in the eggs, because he explained it to us, you know, when you're when you're born, if you're a woman, you have all the eggs you have at birth. So if you've been exposed prenatally, they've been exposed prenatally. So really that digging deeper, we really have to make that a forefront of this conversation about FASD because oftentimes we talk about brain, 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 brain. Yes, yes, definitely. But it's not as simple as brain. And you and I both know that thinking about all of our son's medical diagnoses and specialists. And he went to the, I'm using air quotes and, you know, thank goodness this is an audio podcast, but uh, he went to the best children's hospital in the nation. Well, he saw like, I want to say six or seven specialists before he was one. And no one put any of those dots together and said, Oh, that's prenatal alcohol exposure. Nope. Because nobody asked the question. Yeah. We don't have the history. Yeah. They're fr- the docs are afraid to ask. Yes. Thank you. But the other piece of it is, is that if you look at, as I do um, this year's Red Shoes Rock, I'm going to do 15 weeks and we're going to look at it system by system. We're going to start with looking at what is fetal alcohol, the 428 things, but then we're, I'm going to break it down. It's genetics, epigenetics. We've got endocrine. We've got urology. We've got this system, gastrics. I mean, any part of them can be affected. And one of the things that we're realizing is the kidneys can be very affected. And 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 um, I lost my daughter Shay to kidney failure. And uh, my friend Jody's daughter's fighting for a transplant. Mm-hmm. We already know that Max only has his one kidney is only half sized. And doesn't work. We know that he had, had hydronephrosis and his um, his in his tethered cord that they didn't look for was causing him to his kidneys to his bladder to back up. We need to get this stuff written out there and make a guide that says, okay, I have a child with baby with FAS. Well, we need to look at this system. We need to look at this system. I was working with um, some people with the visually impaired for Mac. Um, Mac has cortical visual impairment, which is a new field coming up because of prenatal alcohol exposures and everything that happened to him in utero. Um, He couldn't see our world, 
but they thought he was tuning out our world. And now there's some stuff coming out in autism that they think visual processing and motor difficulties are part at, for some of these kids with autism, if you can't see the world, how do you interact with it? Mm-hmm. So if you can't see mom, who's the foster mom or adopted mom or right, or can in mom, they, you, do you bond as well? I mean, there's some things here. Yes. That, and if you look at the, the research, somehow we've got it all about brain, but there's a lot of years of research that you can go back and look at from 1982 or 1998. How did we forget about the body? Mm-hmm. And we're diagnosing them based on, for kids with fetal alcohol syndrome, based on the eyes, but we forget to look at how their eyes might affect their learning. Yes. This is why you're on here and this is why we're talking. This is a call to action. Anyone listening out there, there needs to be a guidebook for parents, for educators, for teachers about those 428 conditions. And like Ann said, system by system, this is what can may does happen because it really needs to be out there. We, again, it's like you said, it's you, you, you use that quote, you use that statistic, but then, okay, where is, where's the practical information? I mean, you and I are research geeks. We love to research. We, you know, we, we do that because this is, we have to exactly you have, if you're in this, you have to do the research. And I mean, and, and you actually become quite a good detective doing it, you know? So this really is a call to action that we really, really need to get more of this medical comorbidity information, more formalized, more just published out there so that we're not scraping around going, Oh yeah, I read about this or, oh yeah, I know about this. It, it needs um, to become more organized. And we have the knowledge about the brain. Let's just move it forward. Yep. Let's keep going into the body now. Yep. And, 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 it's, and it's not just about the brain and the behavior because sometimes the behavior might have a physiological reason. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not just FASD that these kids, some of these kids, can be very, very complicated. Mm-hmm. And so we need to have kind of make our own little bubble of what all the layers that the child is dealing with. Because if you've met one child with FASD, you've met one child with FASD. And if We're I had individuals, if I had a nickel for every time I heard your son is medically complicated, <laughs> this podcast would be funded for five years. <laughs> Let me tell you, because that we hear that so much medically complicated, medically complicated. Well, you know what? <laughs> You're telling me something I already know. Now, what are we going to do about it? So, yeah. So again, this is a call to action. We need to band together. I'm going to be putting all of contact information where you can find and where you can just get in touch. If you're out there and I know you listeners, you are as passionate as we are about finding answers and, and just getting more attention. We're talking brain. We've got all this wonderful legislation. We need to start talking about body and medical effects. We really do. We really need to have that conversation. 
all, we look at the whole child. The yes. doctors each have each of their pieces. For our kids, and even when you have a child that's medically complex, the different doctors don't communicate with the other dish. They each have their own specialty. Us as parents, we have to help connect the dots to them to say, this is looking at the whole and how do we find services and supports and how do we plan for futures? And there's a lot of things that it's, it's a, it's a tough job. Yes. And it, but having the documentation and getting it earlier so we don't get to 18 and have none of this documented mm-hmm. is um, when you have an eight-year-old, you start saving documents and creating yes. a binder if you're going to need it. Can I tell you how many totes we have in our attic of visits, of reports, of everything like that? I mean, my goodness, that's one thing you learn on this journey, especially when you're digging deeper and you're getting, you're just really going in there. It, uh, you save paperwork. You make copies, you back up drives, you you do all sorts of things because you're going to need that information again someday. I can tell you, maybe it's not for another 10 years, but you're going to need that. You're going to need that diagnosis or documentation or whatever. Or, or yes, when they were five, they were on this medication for this. You need all of that. And and the other thing is, is that the medical community is busy. They're, they're overwhelmed. They're overworked. But Today, in today's day, they're used to, I mean, they're, most physicians and places are willing to listen to us. And if we can bring in a flyer or a piece of information that says, this is what we see in fetal alcohol, and it's, we've got a little piece of, this is what I would like to look for, they're going to do. And if they don't, then you might have to go look for another one who would, but trust your intuition, trust that you know that mom intuition, that dad intuition, that caregiver intuition, because we know these kids, we read the books or we read the kids, they read the books. And when we work together, we can try to figure out, sort out the pieces. Ah, I love it. I love it. And so much of this conversation is going to be pulled and quoted and put on social media for this week because, and I just, hearing you just inspires me and ignites my passion for advocacy. So now we're going to talk about something else we're very passionate about, our faith. And in this FASD parenting journey, we are not timid about our faith. We, I cannot, honestly, I cannot picture this journey without my faith. And without my depending on the Lord to get through those days, like you said, those days were every, so side note, you're with Mackie feeding him every hour. We had so many weeks, months of that with nebulizer treatments with our son when he was little. Yeah, that too. Yep. And back <laughs> You know, just so thinking everything about everything in the house, every hour yep. in the house that can fu- anybody would need to fight COVID. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we had it long before COVID. Exactly. Oh my goodness. And just thinking about faith, and and I can't picture my husband and I both. We we could not picture doing this journey without our faith, and we know that the Lord has brought us through. Let's talk about it. This it's so huge and central in your family and in this journey. God makes me look crazy. 
I love that. I love that. I'm going to steal that. I'm going to steal that. Yeah. I'm crazy enough to do what he tells me to do. I've learned that I'm going to, he's that I need to, sometimes I'll decide I'm going to, I can't do that. Anne can't do that. Anne's not going to, Anne was quiet Anne was people pleaser Anne did this, 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 and this. And, but it was, but eventually I learned early on with Beck, I can't. And so I've given since 1989, I've learned that I'm on this roller coaster and he's there with me. And it's not about bumping someone over the head with um, the Bible and telling them what they need to do. It's living it. Yes. And how, and how do they do it? Knowing that he's telling me what I need to do. And it might not, I might not get an answer or whatever, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'll stand for what I need to stand. God needs us here to help to be angels to others. What would Jesus do? What does he want us to do? He wants us to help others so that they, they don't struggle as much. So that's what I've done with Newton's syndrome, fetal alcohol, adoption, assistant, uh, whatever. I can't, when I wrote, wrote Tiny Titan, I had never looked at my whole life because you live it one moment at a time. And when I sat down to try to write it, I'm realizing, oh yeah, that happened. That happened. How did I do this? I didn't do it. God did. And, I, and by the way, I stutter. So if I'm talking today, it's not because I'm talking myself because I can't stutter with, I would stutter without him. Amen. And just when I don't think I can do it one more minute, he shows up with something so miraculous that cannot be explained by human terms. And I've seen so many miracles in my life. I, you just... We, Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run no, and grow, not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Isaiah 40, 31. Every time I'm thinking about something and I'm going, well, really, should I do that or whatever? Or I need an answer. or I need a confirmation. God finds me a bald eagle. It'll, Jody and I'll be talking and we're talking about something. She goes, Ann, that's profound. And I'm going, really? And all of a sudden there's an eagle flying over my car and i'm going okay who's gonna go write this down so we don't <laughs> in an hour i love that i love that ah. you just he speaks to you sometimes you just have to slow down enough to whisper amen you, to listen to the whisper i love that Anne. and when you have these kind of kids or any of our kids it's stopping and thinking and grabbing those moments where you can close your eyes, even though they're still right there to say, okay, breathe. Okay, God, I need this one more minute. I need them not minute, minute respites. Yeah. Because we are on all the time. 24 mm-hmm. seven. Because if we're not on, we have to, we're watching these kids. We're helping them be in. We we're helping them to learn, taking chances, but all the time being the safety net behind them. Yes, yes. So whatever amount of freedom that they can have, they can do and learn, but we're always watching. And Amen. he's always watching us. So he's Amen. got our backs just like we have their backs. Amen. And I've shared, first of all, I could hear you talk for hours. Oh my goodness. I just, I love, love love you. And I love hearing 
just how your journey is just again causing ripple effects in in the world not not just here in in the entire world i have shared and i i know this i see this that i think of our kids as whom jesus would use to teach people about him not the other way around not the other way around our kids they're the ones who jesus would use to teach and he is using them to teach us for 15 years my hard hard head prayed for change in my son and then when he was hospitalized and everything was broken in me that's when i should have listened to the whisper long before then it, it was it was like you said it was a steel it was a steel you know two by four it, well it, it was just it was a very hard knock in the head And that's when I was like, wait a minute, I'm the one that needs to change. I'm the one that needs to learn. And I did. Paradigm shift. Exactly. Exactly. When you start praying for change in you and how you can better serve your kids and how you can better serve others on this journey who are drowning and need you to throw that life you know, that life jacket out to them. That's, that's when. And we heal and we heal ourselves by helping others. And we help heal our children. We teach our children empathy. We have to show them. They're modeling after us. Exactly. And it's like you said, we have to live the life that Christ wants us to live. Our kids, I'm amazed if, you know, either of my children can remember what they ate for breakfast, yet knowing that they're doing something out of their love for Christ and, and doing, you know, helping somebody or serving someone, that to me is, that's how our kids who, I would love for my children to be able to memorize scripture. And, and, you know, I hear, oh my, you know, yes, that's wonderful. But what if your kid can't, then what they, do you do? You live it. You live it. Them to my boys. They would see someone walking in a door. They would open the door and hold it with a smile on their face. Amen. They would see someone, an elderly person who needs their shopping cart returned. They would do it. They build self-esteem. They're empowered to make a difference for someone else. While and they're serving. While they're serving. And, and by the way, kids with FASD can serve because my children won the Disney All-Stars for their Backpacks for Kids project and served over 10,000 backpacks in, when they were growing up. We just have to, I mean, kids can make a difference. Matt's making a difference. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be talking about that next. We... I love, and I'm sharing on our, not only on our website, but on our social media posts, all of the books. Let's talk about the books, the everything furry. You have so many wonderful resources for families out there. Tiny Titan, so many amazing books. It won the mom's choice award for best adult memoir. I love that. Um, Mother's day, 20, 
by the way, some of the stuff in here in fetal alcohol will be dated. Someone goes, Anne, you have to rewrite it because now you know more. I go, well, that was the living the story of 20s, the early years with the mm -hmm. kid. Mm -hmm. First half of the book is the story of our family prior to Becca. Second half of the story is my fetal alcohol journey. Um, I will be posting it. Um, I'll be setting up a website for Red Shoes Rock that'll be on Etsy, the Etsy store. So we'll have our Red Shoes Rock pins, um, bracelets, everything else. And so we'll be sharing those have, links. We'll have that up before me. Um, furry. furry. I had a teacher in kindergarten. Matt couldn't talk. He couldn't walk. He's in a wheelchair. They said he wasn't capable of anything. And she didn't give up on my kiddo. And we did inclusion and friendship and ability. And um, we partnered together to, and Mac was accepted. I want to write Mac's story. Would you draw me some pictures? Well, two, um, a little book turned into 206 pages, over 700 illustrations, all done, hand done by Jody. And um, we surprised her on the last day of school. Because there's stories about kids with differing disabilities. There's no story about how do we include them. And the, but then all the lessons we learned in kindergarten about be, being sharing and caring and celebrating just because. And so Furry, um, I've been working on a curriculum that goes with it. So in which I haven't done a lot of promotion with it because I was waiting till I was able to finish this book. This is Furry the Little Penguins That Could. And it's a color book and um, color pages, Jody did it again with me. And it's about emotional support partners. How many of our kids carry a stuffed animal mm -hmm. or have to have something in their backpacks? And other kid, the teacher goes, well, you can't have that. Well, our kids need something with them going into all these anxiety places out there. And so Furry was Max from kindergarten. And Furry has become Max's partner ever since then for absolutely everything. And he, and by the way, penguins do become real and the more they're loved. And um, so, but the furry, the cares book is um, Mac has been giving furries secretly to children going through tough stuff. And with the little cares book, and then we stuffed them in police cars, hospitals, um, foster care, um, people can buy a furry and donate a furry to another child um, because there's a message in the book about furry's a good listener. Furry can soak up tears. Furry is there to have fun. Furry's there to, when it is we need him the most. And not everybody can have a $50,000 service animal. That's right. And it makes it okay. And what I've learned from Becca is at, these medically fragile kids grow up, they still have something stuck in their, they go back to the hospital, the, the thing's gonna be in a backpack. It's gonna be in a purse. It's gonna be someplace. It's gonna be on their bed for when they have those moments when they just need a good friend. And why not make it be okay to have it? I mean, boyfriends give girls teddy bears to hug. Why I can't, why do we have to give up our stuffies just because we grew up? And mm. so ESPs and Matt was sending um, furries to some children who actually lost their parents from COVID-19. Mm. 
on the days when he can't go to school and the school turned the back on. So he was busy doing all sorts of stuff. So you make your own project in your own school and Max being homeschooled and um, the school district got faulted by the state and um, they violated his rights. But guess what? The blessing is I don't have to prove it anymore because everyone knows that I'm his teacher and he'll do anything for me. And I reached out to Anne when she first started homeschooling and I just told her, I said, it's the best accommodation you can make. It really My is. My child is reading. I know. I love homeschooling. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Love it so much. Wrote a book about it. And I'm so, so happy to hear that Mackie's thriving in homeschooling. The thing that, um, what I learned in the 25 years of going to school um, is that it's really tough for our kids. Yeah. And, and, and as they get a higher in grades and stuff, everything, every moment is a reminder. Okay. That you can't hear the teacher. It's you're not processing it or you didn't see you missed something or you can't write it as what teacher says. I can't write it as well. Or you see, you got something wrong or you see your friends excluding you. It's trauma. It's more and more of reminders all the time of what you can't do. We need to start saying, showing what we can do and we can do differently and getting our kids technology when they're little because their handwriting is not good. Um, we can, with the homeschooling, we have the flexibility to meet them where they're at. Mm -hmm. say in schools, it's about, I used to be an educational advocate too, by the way, um, going to IEPs with parents. Um, but it's, Schools are failure based. You can't get the help until you've fallen far enough behind. You can't even, even then it has to be a certain percentage. Right. Even then it's got to be a certain percentage or, because if you're right on that line, nope, not going to get it. Exactly. So it's just everything is we need to be proactive. We need yeah. to celebrate just because celebrate every milestone in their own way, in their own time, when they're ready and use technology and everything in our, our FASD home group, schooling groups, and all of these things that we have no learned from each other to get our kids so we don't we get those layers of secondary trauma. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what I love about homeschooling is we can be proactive, not reactive. We can think ahead. We can dig deeper and look further into it. And again, right. I, I understand homeschooling doesn't work for everybody, but I can tell you for Ann and I, it's working beautifully and we love it. And, and, and are there days that we want to pull our hair out? Heck yeah. Oh my goodness. Many of them, but that's why I have my hidden stash of chocolate where nobody finds it <laughs> because it, 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 you, it's funny. And somebody, a friend of mine posted this on, on Facebook. She said, you know, when I tell people I homeschool, I feel sorry for the people who say, oh, I couldn't spend 24 hours, seven days a week with my kids because you see a different version of your kid when you homeschool. And we, we were talking about that. You see the kid that's not under that constant pressure cooker. You see that kid who is ready to thrive and ready to come out of his or her shell. And we, we also have the ability, if we have a bad morning, we can do it in the afternoon. Exactly. We can just say, in the, even in the evening, <laughs> or we can just say 
today is not a good day and we can work on a Saturday. Exactly. Or when Mac learns best is at three o'clock in the morning when it's dark in bed. That's the beauty of it. I know when we homeschooled our son and we know sleep issues, big medical, big medical. That's it. That's going to be in that book. And that we want to write that guide of, of the 428 medical. We know sleep is like it's more uncommon for kids to with FASD to have regular sleep than it is for them not to. It's more common that they have sleep. I use challenges very affectionately sleep disasters, you know, um, for our son, sleep has always been a challenge. So we would, you know, some days he'd wake up and okay, yep. He's ready to go. Other days. Nope. Nope. Three o'clock, four o'clock. So this has been an amazing, an amazing conversation. And I am so, so thankful that you are just sharing your story. You're sharing your experience. You're sharing everything that you've done. And most importantly, you give me so much hope. And I just, again, I'm, I'm so blessed to know you. And I am so just so happy to just be sharing you and sharing all of the wonderful things that you've done and the wonderful things that you continue to do with our listeners because you have made so many ripples and I am just in awe of, of who you are. And, um, I'm just, this is just a love fest. I'm just, I, I just think that you're Natalie, wonderful and I'm so thankful to know you. When you, um, asked me, I don't like to, I, I, I hate to have the spotlight. It's easier to hide. But sometimes, but you have FASD hope. It's hope for our kids and we can do better. And so I couldn't say no. And, but you've inspired me um, to, when I was talking to Jody and I said, okay, this year I'm going to write. Doc is home. Mac is doing well. No more surgeries. Becca's been through her surgeries. I can do the 15 week, commit to the 15 weeks of writing. And um, so I'm going to do it. And I'm, and once I say that I'm going to do something, then I have to hold myself accountable. So you've inspired me. And, um, and I also said, Jody told me to thank you from both of us for part, joining our fetal alcohol campaign I and red shoes back in everyone else rocking their red shoes yeah. and let's slow the socks off. Um, raising awareness and, um, moving to the next chapter of feed alcohol. Absolutely. Absolutely. And send Jody, my love, I see her and I pray for her and her, for her sweet Liz. And, and just, I am, I'm just honored to be a part of your team, whatever little bit I can do. And, uh, you know, I love to end hope is in our title. You know, we had some other title options for FASD, but we picked hope because that's what we that's what we want. And that's what we need at the end of the day is is hope. Let's share some words of hope for those weary listeners out there. You know, we're, we're sharing this in May. We're sharing this just before Mother's Day. We're sharing this during Foster Care Awareness Month. You've been through 
you're still on the roller coaster. And I know you just have so much. You've just been through so much. What words of hope can you share to those parents, those families out there that are treading water and and just wondering how to start going forward? After 25 years, I get to look back and I get to see the difference. Sometimes it's looking back, stopping, thinking about where you were and saying, and look back a little bit, look for those milestones, look at those glimmers of hope and time goes by and the more we, we reflect, those moments of reflection will keep us going and just trust that you're on that journey and you are making a difference every single day, even when we think we aren't for these kids. God gave them to us for a reason especially all of us adoptive parents and foster parents and parents who, and even the, and the parents who have children with feed alcohol, they didn't know, give yourself grace. And it is that hard. Parenting is hard. Parenting on steroids. And they keep telling us we're supposed to take care of ourselves. Well, how do we have time to take care of ourselves? I love that. And it's, but it's those moments of, Stopping, taking some deep breaths, and just being still for a minute. And what I've learned the hard way (laughs) is checking myself as the barometer. Because if I'm in control, they're going to be in control. Because they're trusting me to keep them safe and keep them be their external controls to be able to help them. If I'm not in control, then they can't trust either. So always looking inward and taking some breathers. And then, and and at times even apologizing to my kid. Hey guys, I didn't do it all that right. Sometimes I didn't know. And um, showing them that it's, that I can make mistakes too. So just 25 years, I don't know where the time went. And your check. You will be back on FASD Hope. You Anytime you need will me. Be back. Oh, everyone, I hope you've enjoyed our conversation as much as I've had. And thank you so much for being on FASD Hope. Thank you for having me. You know where to find me. Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Becchione. If you like our show and want more information, check out FASDHope.com or please leave us a five-star rating and review and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us again next week and remember to be informed, take care, and always have hope.